Well, first of all, let's just talk about the reason why. Why bother setting goals? And the reason why I think it's important to do it is because the odds aren't in, weren't in my favor. And I learned that early. I mean, I'm a black woman in tech. Odds are not in my favor to actually end up as a CEO, right? Of a technology company. But for many of us in the world, the odds aren't in our favor to do the things that we want to do. If we just hope, we just work hard and hope, well, then we're playing the odds. Yeah. And if the odds are one out of 10,000, those are going to be our odds. But if we actually set a goal and we put a plan in place to achieve the goal, we improve our odds. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest is so inspirational. She is an experienced CEO and board director with a track record of building brands, high-performance teams, and organizations. She currently serves on the boards of Verizon, Roper Technologies, and Okta. She's also a strategic advisor to Forbes Ignite and the president of Arizona State University and serves on the board of two national nonprofits, Catalyst, and Braven. This amazing woman leader has over 30 years of experience in technology. She is the former CEO of Metricstream, a Silicon Valley-based governance, risk, and compliance software company, and she's the author of Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. This book will inspire you and give you great tools to help you fight the battles, make the trade-offs, and create the life that you want. She's a Forbes contributor and a protagonist of the Harvard Business School case study, Becoming a CEO. She enjoys the performing arts, traveling, cooking, and writing a blog that provides career advice, insights, and other musings. And I'll tell you, 
the last time I got to hang out with Shelly, we were talking about her book. One of the things that really is so impactful about this woman is I think she started planning her life when she was six years old. <laughs> Shelly Archambault has met such success. I am honored to have you as a guest on this podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Julie. It's wonderful to be here with you and, and your audience today. I've been looking forward to it. Well, all of us are leaning in because you are the role model. You're the one we all look to and we want our daughters to look to. So thank you. Thank you for being with us today. All right. Before we get into all the leadership and career and, uh, and other technical information, I know that you are, you're an arts lover and you're so full of joy. Do you have a song that's your go-to where when times are tough or times are good that like gives you that fuel, that, that place to, of solace? As a matter of fact, Yes. And it's more of the kind of the energy. There's a Mary J. Blige song called Just Fine. Oh, yes. Just Fine. <laughs> That's I right. Love I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, Shelly, your story, your accomplishments are just extraordinary. And you face and overcome some challenges, breaking grounds as an African-American woman executive in tech. Was writing this book cathartic for you? I'd love to hear a little bit about that that journey. Yeah. You know, Julie, it was interesting. Writing the book was definitely, definitely cathartic, but it's also hard. And at the same time, there were times when I thought, you know, I'm pretty proud of my young self, right? So it was all of those things together because in order to really hopefully draw the audience in and help them understand kind of the, the backstory, right? And the whys behind decisions and things that I did, I really had to share some hard things that happened to me that frankly, I didn't want to remember. They'd happened and I put them in the rear view and never to be thought about again. And I had to go back there. Those kinds of sessions were really hard for me. They were emotional. But having done it and realizing that even though they're hard, and even though it's something I wouldn't wish on anyone else, there were learnings from it. And Mm -hmm. it did shape who I am. So it wasn't all bad. Oh my gosh. I, I'm feeling this visceral reaction to what you're saying. And I just think now we can look back and think I'm so proud of how I handled that. It was so hard, but you went through it with integrity and grace and came out the other end. And don't you just want to embrace that young Shelly who and say, honey, you're going to be fine <laughs> through this, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think sometimes people look at someone like you and they're like, oh, it was probably easy for her. You know, she's extraordinary. She's the outlier. And it's such a gift to all of us to humanize you. Your, uh, well, thank you. Success. Yeah. And you know, Julie, it's, it's a big reason why I wrote the book because life is hard yeah. for everybody. And no one tells us that. No. Nobody tells us that. So when it gets hard, we think, oh my God, I'm just not cut out for it. Yeah. Right. I'm, I just don't want to have what it takes. Or Mm -hmm. I'm just not good enough because look, everyone else, it's so easy for them. It's not. It's a facade. It's not easy for anyone. And I wanted to share those things in the book so people keep going. It's like, Mm -hmm. listen, you can do it. It's hard for you. Of course, it was hard for me. Don't stop. Just get more help. But keep going. So where did the title come from? Unapologetically Ambitious. You know, it's interesting. I wanted the word ambitious in it because too many times in my career, you know, people told me I was ambitious and it wasn't meant as a compliment. Which yeah. think about it, it's ridiculous, right? It's yeah. totally ridiculous. You would never raise your yeah. kids and say, work hard, do well, show leadership, blah, 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 blah. And oh, 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 but but don't be ambitious. Don't strive for anything. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like so, makes no I, sense. 
Exactly. So anyway, so new ambitious, but I didn't, I was like, I can't just call it ambition, right? What in the world? And then I was having a conversation with a group of women, as a matter of fact, friends, and we were talking about apologizing. And I said, you know, I feel like we're raised from the cradle as women to apologize because we apologize, you know, five, 10% of the time because we've actually done something wrong. But the rest of it, 90 to 95% of the time, we apologize to make the rest of the world feel better. We apologize to show empathy, to ease tension, to show we care, right? We use apologies like people use salt. Makes everything taste a little better, right? Well, apologies make the world smoother. But the problem is, we're the only sex doing that. Yeah. So when we apologize, we're actually sorry. We are sorry. Yeah. You know what the answer is? No. Yeah. They've got to stop doing that. And that's when it hit me. I was like, I you know, love that. Unapologetically ambitious because yeah. everyone has the right to be ambitious. Yeah. And take up space, baby. Like this sort of somehow it's like, well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. So I'm not going to take up too much space or be too ambitious. So that's fantastic. All right. So I love the book and it's so clear from reading the book that you are so strategic about your goals. Like we, I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I always sort of have this thing where it's like, yes, I have goals and plans, but I don't have plans much more than five years out usually. So it feels like you set goals, you work through them, consistently driving towards them and it paid off. Do you have advice for those of us who maybe didn't, haven't really planned out that far ahead? Like, what do you think about setting those goals and how do you actually go after them? What would you advise my daughter, me? Yeah. Right. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the reason why. Why bother setting goals? And the reason why I think it's important to do it is because the odds aren't in, weren't in my favor. And I learned that early. I mean, I'm a black woman in tech. Odds are not in my favor to actually end up as a CEO, right, of a technology company. But for many of us in the world, the odds aren't in our favor to do the things that we want to do. If we just hope, we just work hard and hope, well, then we're playing the odds. And if the odds are one out of 10,000, those are going to be our odds. If we actually set a goal and we put a plan in place to achieve the goal, we improve our odds so that it's more likely to happen. So that's why it's worth doing. And so what I do, really simple, I set a goal. And to me, a goal is just what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to impact? Or what do you want to achieve in the future? That's it, right? You set a goal. And once you set it, you ask yourself, what has to be true? So I wanted to be a CEO. Okay, so what has to be true for me to be a CEO? Well, you know what? I didn't know. And most of us don't know what's required. So you have to go do your homework or the research. Go find out. Find out what their backgrounds were, education, skill sets, jobs, blah, 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 blah. And then the next question is, how do you make it true for you? And that's the plan. But here's the key, because a lot of people have goals. Some people have plans. But I find the real power is when you make decisions every day consistent with your plan. And so many people don't. They have it. It's kind of off to the side. But the decisions I'm making, I'm making for today and not for tomorrow. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Is there a story that could illustrate some of this or a story you want to share from the book? You said sometimes we're really tough. I'd love to hear maybe a story. Uh, Sure. So, you know, what really made me intentional, and I think that's what you get out of the book. You just see everything I did. It was just very intentional. It was back to the point about, I just knew the odds were in my favor. I mean, I grew up in the, you know, 60s and early 70s which in the U.S. was a tough time for Black folks, right? That's when civil rights was all being discussed, debated. And for as many people that thought there should be, you had just as many who thought there shouldn't. And my father didn't have a college education, and we moved around a lot. I was in seven states before I got to high school, before I got to high school. So I'm always the new kid. And they moved into places where they had the best public school education. 
because we couldn't afford private. And they really were focused on us getting a college degree. And so I ended up in places where I was like the only little black girl. And people let me know I was bullied. I was beat up. I was, I mean, just, it was just not, not good. And so my parents would always say, when you come home as a kid and you say, oh, you know, mom, mom, it's not fair, right? They did this to me or that to me or whatever. And instead of just hugging me and patting me on the back and saying, oh, it's going to be okay. They didn't. But a tough love. My mother, because I'd be like, mom, it's not fair. And she would say, Shelly, you're right. But life's not fair. Good morning. Well, as a kid, you're like, wait a minute, life is fair. You get a lollipop, I get a lollipop. You get a turn, I get a turn. What do you mean it's not fair? Well, they were very clear. Life isn't fair. So what are you going to do about it? You know, and because my parents would always say, you can't control what people say to you. And they said some awful things to me. You can't control what they do to you, right? Same there. But you can control how you respond. So don't let them win. And they win when they affect how you feel about yourself. That's when they win. So all of those things came together that really said to me, okay, I'll turn in my favor, but I have the ability to control how I respond and what I do. And therefore I'm going to be intentional and go after what I want because that's the only way I'm going to get it. And that's what really drove me all the way through my life. You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous, badass, and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people. It's better for profits. And it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board. And we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We wanna connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We wanna connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week. But what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board check it out. Come and explore. Invite 10 friends. Tell them that you believe in them. It's the greatest gift you can give. Somebody did it for you. And I want to encourage you to do it for another woman. I look forward to seeing you at Get On Board Week so we can get thousands of women on boards. This year, our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on, we're adding the private board space. It's time. Thanks for your partnership. Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. You know, it's so interesting. Like my daughter, she's 30 and she's super 
talented and senior in her industry, right? And for a long time, I've said, oh, I can see you as the COO. And she was like, mommy, I can't believe you're saying that to me. Stop. It's unrealistic. And she's getting there, right? If I say it enough times, but what was it that made you think like, You have to actually, in order to set a goal, you actually have to believe it's reasonable for you to be the CEO of Metrics Dream. Like there has to be, how did you, is that what your mom told you? Well, yeah. So let me tell you, can I tell you another story? Okay. So growing up, and in case you didn't get the idea, money was very, very tight in my family. Um, My mother made all of our clothes. Now she had four kids and herself and she sewed for all of us. So she was sewing all the time. Growing kids, you're always out of clothes, right? She was sewing all the time. So we lived in homemade clothes. We didn't eat out in restaurants. Mom made everything from scratch because it was cheaper to do that, right? On payday, we all got an envelope. We got an envelope for whatever our allowance. Daddy got an envelope for his lunch money and for whatever. And then mom had the rest to manage the household. And many times she would borrow from us right before payday. Yeah, it was just, anyway, it was, that was how we lived. Well, my mother worked so hard. That I told her at one point, I said, you know what, mom, I don't want any kids. And I'm like 14 or something. I'm like, I don't want any kids. And she was like, why? Because I'm not willing to work as hard as you work. You know, I never saw her sleep, right? We went to bed. She was at the sewing machine. We got up and she was already up making breakfast. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. And plus, you know, she baked all our desserts. And then we'd sit there and reach for the biggest piece, right? When they got cut. So mom always got the smallest piece because she reached last. I'm like, I am not working as hard as you work for the smallest piece of pie. I'm just not doing it. And she sat me down and she said, Shelly, I don't care about that pie. She said, I have everything that I care about. The key is for you to decide what you care about and forget about the rest because you can't have everything, but you can have what you're willing to work for and make the trade-offs for. Well, fast forward two years, my mother bought a horse. Oh, you're kidding. Horse. <laughs> We're like, what? So we can afford a oh, horse? That small piece of cake is yeah. buying a horse. Exactly. <laughs> all those clothes she sewed, all those meals she made, she was squirreling away yeah, little bits, little bits. Of, and over the 20 years of marriage, she saved up enough money to buy an old, I mean, this thing was 16 years old. This is not a prompt, but her dream was to have a horse and she got her horse. So her whole point was, Decide what's important, work for that, but forget about the rest, right? Just be prioritized. And so I took that and I just got a little lucky. I had a conversation with a guidance counselor in high school, you know, that junior year obligatory conversation. Are you going to college? Right. And I said, yes, I'm going to college. Said, what do you want to do after college? And I said, I don't know. I just want to be able to keep the thermostat at 72 degrees. I want to be able to eat out at restaurants and travel. Those were all things that I couldn't do. That's what I wanted to be able to. And she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, oh, that's easy. Clubs. You know, I mean, everything, American Field Service and French Club. I'm, I'm even a Girl Scout, but like, don't tell anybody, right? And more than that, I like leading them. And she said, well, you know, clubs are like business. You pull people yeah. together and get things done. And I said, done. I'm going to go into business. Excellent. And I like running clubs, so I'll go run a business. And I looked up and those people were called CEOs. So I said, I want to be a CEO. And literally, I was that naive and that audacious. I, I love <laughs> it. I was. <laughs> Well, and your mom had been planting these seeds all along. And what you just said, okay, you and I, I imagine, have the similar reactions when we saw the headlines with the Prime Minister of New Zealand and the commentary about Susan Wojcicki. It's like, oh my God, she's been the CEO forever. This whole like, oh, women can't have it all. What what do you think about that? I think you told us the story now about like how to think about it. But like, listen, well, here's here's the truth. Why is it just women that are supposed to quote, have it all. 
I've never seen men in terms of having it all, right? Here's the key. Nobody has it all at the same time. Nobody. And so they paint this ridiculous thing about having it all, which sets an unrealistic expectation. And then as women, we're trying to go against this unrealizable expectation. And then we feel like failures. Listen, guys don't have it all. Matter of fact, in general, they multitask and have less responsibilities than women. All studies show that. So what are we doing here? With that kind of commentary. I think it's a an effort to say to women, you're making a terrible mistake by not staying at home with your children. That's all I can imagine. Because what does all mean? We all make a choice every day. I yes. decided not to be an Olympian. I decided not to <laughs> learn how to sew all my own clothes. We make decisions every minute of every day yes. about where we're going to put our energy. Everybody right. does. And I just think it's basically saying it's an underlying women shouldn't work. And that's all I can imagine it is. And it's got to stop. And I think all of us need to squash that silliness because look at you. Anybody who looks at you thinks you have it all, but you make choices every time, all the time. Exactly. Are you, are you making your own clothes and making dessert every day? And, and of course not. <laughs> so like, you know, yes. all doing it was, absolutely. It is so, so true, which is frankly also why I don't even like the term work-life balance. Yeah. yeah. I don't like the term and I don't like the term because what is a balance? A balance is a fixed structure with two weights on both sides that are even at all times. Yeah. I mean, Julie, whose life is static? Who's? No. no one. So the fact that when we're going through this crazy ups and downs of life and different things happening, work like that we're supposed to, quote, always be in balance in order to be the perfect woman. I mean, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. All right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, your kid gets sick one morning and the balance gets shifted. Somebody quits and gets a better job and you're out down a staff person like it's constant. You're just right. constantly trying to figure it out. So. How do you define like on a daily basis, this is my place I want to be? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really, really good question. I learned early through something that happened to me, the importance of self-care. So I'm going to put that all into self-care because what I find is if my self-care is good, then my mental state, no matter what's going on in the world, is actually good. And when I was in my late 20s, outside looking in, it all looked like, hey, I had it going on. I mean, I was married already. I had two kids. I was working for IBM at the time. I'd already been promoted a couple of times. I just got my first nonprofit board. I'm like, great, right? Late 20s, things are all clicking, clicking, clicking. But inside, I was dying. I was having trouble getting out of bed. I just didn't have energy. I'm thinking, gosh, if this is how it feels to have, quote, all these things, then I don't want it. I'm not sure I want this. And fortunately, I went to go see a psychologist because I'm like, something is wrong with me. Yeah, I, I have the checklist. Exactly. Feeling like this. Yeah. Yeah, something is wrong. And so it turns out something was wrong with me. I was depressed. Yeah. I was depressed. And it turns out what he helped me see is I was giving 100% of myself away. Yeah. Right? To spouse, to kids, to community, to job, to boards. I mean, you asked me for something and I, if I could, I gave it but I wasn't giving anything back to me. And so I learned that what I need for self-care are just three things. I need to exercise regularly. I have to eat three meals a day. I know that sounds ridiculous, but most people don't. I mean, three real meals. I don't mean a granola bar and a cup of coffee, right? Three meals a day. And I need to socialize with adults at least twice a week. Something social with adults twice. If I do those three things, I am actually good and can handle whatever happens and feels good, right? around life. But the key is for each of us, we need to figure out what is it for us? What are your three things? 
and then make them non-negotiable. I mean, when I was a CEO, I brought my lunch to work if I didn't have a lunch meeting. Now, it wasn't that I couldn't afford lunch, right? Mm -hmm. But what I found is when things got busy, I always squeezed lunch. And next thing you know, you're at the vending machine, right? And so if I brought lunch, I ate something healthy. So I brought my lunch. I make it non-negotiable. Figure out what works for you and make it non-negotiable. My God, that's so instructive and simple. Three things. You didn't have a list of 400 that you could never accomplish, right? There's so many super things about you, but what do you define as your superpower? My superpower is probably two. It's courage and discipline. So it's the courage to take risks, to ask the question, right? To shine the light on a problem, you know, whatever. It's it's the courage to take risks. And then it's the discipline to actually follow through with my plan, because it goes back to a lot of people lay it out, but that doesn't mean they actually do every day what they need to do to actually execute it. And uh, let me just give you a crazy story I talk about in the book, but it just illuminates when I say intentional and discipline. So here I am, I'm in college and I'm a sophomore in college and I need a new winter coat. And how long should a good winter coat last? I'm like, it should last like seven, eight years, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, buy a good coat. So I don't have a whole lot of resource. So I go to the mall, I get to the outlet mall, right? Buy a coat, come back. And I try it on for my roommate. And back at then, this is the eighties, right? The early eighties, the style was big shoulders, double breasted fitted, right? That whole peacoat look, you remember it? Well, I came back with a double breasted, but it was a swing coat. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, Shelly, it's nice, but it's not very stylish. I said, I know, but I wanted a coat that I could wear when I'm pregnant. And she's like, what? You don't even have a boyfriend. What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not a steady boyfriend. And I said, well, a coach should last seven, eight years. And in seven, eight years, I'd like to be married and pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the perfect Shelly example. That I love that. She's been planning everything out. So discipline and courage. Good purchases that have anticipating future state. I love right. it. Oh, by the way, I did wear that coat for both my pregnancies. So Shelly, I have to say one of my three things is hanging out with women like you. You give me <laughs> so much joy. I feel like anyone who's listening to this, and I certainly am walking away feeling like anything's possible. You just have to scaffold it. So thank you for that. If people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Is it go on LinkedIn? What is the best way for someone best, to connect with you? Yeah, the best way to find me is LinkedIn. And I'm the only Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y-E, Archambault. So it's easy to find me. Instagram, I'm on. And you can also find me on my website, Shelly.com, S-H-E-L-L-Y-E.com. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been such a gift to everyone. And read that book, everyone. It is really instructive and inspiring. Well, thank you very much for having me. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.